I do greet you this morning in Jesus' precious name. I knew when I was asked, and I agreed to do this, it's going to be hard. I guess I didn't realize how hard. Not only do I feel the responsibility of the message, we're still grieving the loss of our brother. And the loss was driven home again this week when the bank ministry met. And there was no Keith. His years of wisdom and advice were missing. We felt it. I do cover your prayers this morning. As I attempt to do what I've been called to do. Jesus, when he taught us to pray, he said, Our Father. Psalms 23 says, The Lord. And in Genesis 1, it starts out, In the beginning, God. All singular nouns, but all plural, because God is God. As I thought about, thought about that and thought about God's greatness and how in eternal past He was, and, and everything that God had was complete at that time. Eternity passed with God, with Jesus, completeness. And yet, God wanted more. And so, when he decided to create heaven and earth, and with all his ideas, and with all the ambition that went into the creation, the only thing I could think about was a little child that's had too many candy bars and a lot of Mountain Dew. And it was just like God was on steroids when he went into the creation. It's just like, I know we hear that the sky's the limit, but with God there was no limit. And so he played out all his ideas and imaginations. And we can't begin to understand the fullness of it because we can't even see it all. He created the Milky Way and all the universe way out there beyond any eyesight of mankind, even with scope. He created light, sun, the moon, and the stars. Everything that was necessary, especially the sun, to bring life on earth. He created the trees and the flowers and the birds and the lizards and the guineas. Everything. You just can't hardly wrap your imagination around how. How did he come up with so many ideas and I just read last week that they emptied a stream out and they found a hundred new species of life in that stream. Where have they been all these years? Well, they've been there, but man's eyes have not seen them. And I'm convinced that God loves beauty. There is no way that he would have created such lovely flowers 
Such beautiful sunsets, such beautiful sunrises. And if you look back on the mountains this morning, it looks like the snow yesterday afternoon frosted the mountains. Uh, no one could do that but God. And no one could see it last night but God. And so the beauty of the earth just proclaims glory and majesty and honor to Him from everything that you look and see at. And, and how, how He figured it all out is simply beyond my imagination. But when I said about the guineas, it reminds me of we had a few there at the farm. My veterinarian would come in in his pickup truck and park next to the dairy when we were still milking. And our guineas would go out and crowd around his truck, and especially look at the hubcaps in his tires. And then they'd have a discussion amongst themselves. I don't know if they was, the hubcaps were too shiny or not shiny enough, but they talked and talked about each other. And my vet stood there one day, he shook his head. He said, when you see a guinea and see how they look and what they operate and what they think, you know God had a tremendous imagination. He said, I just have to admire the guinea. And then God as he took care of his children. Uh, uh, I just can't, can't imagine the children of Israel and the way they seen and they felt God's hand leading in their lives. Um, you know, they say if you fight, you ought to fight fair. But there is no fairness in love or war. And when God needed to drive the people out of the land of Canaan and open it up for his children, I think it was a delight to him to send the hornets after him. And I, I think God just grinned and, and smiled to see his adversaries struck down and chased away by the hornets. And to me, the hornets are a fearful thing. I don't even like to get stung by a honeybee. Last evening one week, uh, I, on my way in, it was almost dark. I thought, well, I would pop the lid on my beehive and, and take a quick look. They're, surely they won't bother me now. Almost instantly, I had a bee on my shirt collar. I closed the lid, and I'm the one that made the bee line. I don't like getting stung. Unfortunately, I didn't. But uh, I just can't imagine having hornets driving you out of your land, out of your home. But not only was the creation of the earth God's, but then he created man after his own image. And I know no man hath ever, has ever seen God. But from what that tells me, that after his own image, if you look around, and we've got 147 other people beside myself here this morning, you see your brothers and sisters, you know what God looks like. It's just that simple. So God's children are after his own image. And again, how did God figure out how to create us? He gave us a sense of smell, touch, sight, reasoning. 
there is just, we are wonderfully and fearfully made. And man, man was not satisfied to live in peace and under the subjection of God. And Adam and Eve, they fell there in the garden when they took of the, partook of the forbidden fruit. And yes, their eyes were opened, opened to their sinfulness. And so mankind became a reproach upon earth as they lived there, a reproach to God for many years. And I know uh, we hear from time and again about the intelligence of man before the flood. How much did they have? You know, did they have the uh, knowledge that we do? Uh, where were they in intelligence? And I dare believe they were farther, much farther advanced than we were than we are because uh, most people don't come to a good understanding of combination of intelligence and experience to about the age of 50 now and three score years and ten are are a lot of time on this earth by 70 we're on the decline and and with these people living hundreds of years they had much, much more opportunity to do experiments and to learn and to become more intelligent. And not only that, is there was only one language in the land. Uh, they had not yet, God had not confused their language and drove them apart. So they could share all their understandings and what they knew with their common language. And it became a total reproach to God but he did find one faithful, and that was Noah. He was a minister, and he pled with the people. Uh, God asked Noah to do a seemingly impossible project. And I have been privileged to look at tour the ark down in Kentucky. And when you see the size and the magnitude of that, of that boat, uh, I would be intimidated if, if I owned the... Uh, sawmill up there up the road and if I owned the biggest winch truck that Silver Lake Welding has but Noah a man of faith he applied himself he put himself to work and the boat happened we don't know exactly how many people died in the flood but there was a lot and estimates say there could have been as many as four billion people on this earth. I don't know the exact number, but I'll leave it like this. I'll play the other way. They all, they all died but eight. That we know. There was no other escape at that point. Um, when God opened the waters from the earth and when he sent rain from heaven, the, the flooding was immense and no man that was outside the ark could escape. And this was the first time it had actually rained from heaven. My understanding is that God had always watered the earth uh, a mist like in the night, and the rain did not fall. And so I can't help but believe that God was extremely sorrowful when all those lives were destroyed and all that potential was lost. And so...
when, when he put Noah and his family back up on top of the mountain and let the ark rest, I think it's a sign of a comfort to Moses, but also to God, is when he placed the rainbow in the sky. And there's a beautiful seven colors, and it was God's promise to mankind, and we can see it yet today. If we, uh, oftentimes during the end of a rain shower, when the sun pops out, you see the, God's promise. It's the same today as it was to Noah. You can turn to Psalms 23 if you wish. Psalms 23 says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. My cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Here we have the Psalm of David. And as a little boy, David was always my idol. There was, he was my hero because there was nothing that David couldn't do. And you know, as I told you, I felt like that, that God was almost on steroids, and I believe that's just recklessly is the way David lived his life as a young man. Uh, I don't think his mother had an opportunity to tell him don't do it because he'd already done it. He was always living life on the edge, going out and killing a lion, killing the bear. Uh, he could sing, he could dance, he could write, and he had much knowledge of everything that was going on, and yet he was a shepherd. And God said that there was a man after his own heart. And so the energy that God displayed and showed during creation, the energy that David had as a young man, I believe certainly do parallel. And, and just the, the magnitude of David, and, and yet he was so adventurous, and yet above and beyond all that was his love for the Lord. Um, so he was the one that, that the Lord chose to write this psalm. And as I pointed out this morning, God, Lord, our Father, it's an all-singular noun. And then, as we read here, it says, I, in the second verse, he maketh me, I and me are also singular. So it's not that this passage is ripped written to other people but it's written to me it's written to you written to you personally this psalm he maketh me to lie down in green pastures he leadeth me beside the still waters you know as I thought about this um, of course it was written from a shepherd's viewpoint and they had the had the green pastures and had the sheep and and everything was was perfect you might say as far as the sheep were concerned and they had the still waters where they could drink it was slowly moving but it was moving it was not a stagnant water and the pastures were green and 
So he, he needed to feed and care for his sheep. And that's the way your ministers are today. They need to feed and care for us. And the shepherd has to be present to take care of his needs. He can't be all wondering and doing anything else if he's taking care of his responsibilities of feeding the sheep, watching over them, protecting them from the wolves, or whatever may be coming their way. You know, we as shepherds sometimes feel like that we have a lot, a lot on our plate and a lot to do. But I want you to think about God's child care system a little bit. You know, if you're in charge of the nursery at the hospital, you have several babies, you're busy. If you're working in an old folks home and you've got several wandering dementia patients, you're really busy. And sometimes they take them and get them a little, little children a little bit bigger, adults that aren't but so bad, and they put them together in Generations Crossing in Harrisonburg and bring those young ones and the old ones together, and they work with them. And oftentimes it, it works rather well, once a man, twice a child. So they get along well. If you're in charge of that, you'd be really, really busy. But as I think about God and what he's doing for us, what he's done for all these people all these years over the past, I'm, I'm overwhelmed at God's child care system and what he's taking care of. You see, God holds the whole world in his hand. And with it being round, half the people are going to sleep. He's, he's taking care of them and saying, y'all are okay, you're okay. Rest, it's sweet rest. The other half of the world, he's waking up. He said, okay, it's time y'all to go to work. He's got everything in between all the time. 24 that's God's child care system. How would you do with that kind of responsibilities? There's none of us that could begin to handle that kind of thing. Yet God has done it since the time of Adam and Eve. He is waking up and he's putting to sleep and he's comforting, comforting all the time. Somebody somewhere. And so it just totally amazed me when I realized all that, and yet the Lord is my shepherd. It's for me. It's personal. How do we convince our children, show our children, and convey to our children this? We need to tell the story and repeat it over and over. It begins in the home when the parents tell the children the story of Jesus. It continues when the children go to the grandparents. More Bible stories. And you know, at, at my house, um, Grandma's the best storyteller. And so the grandchildren go to her, they hear the stories all over again. I'm sitting on another chair pretending like I'm asleep and I get to hear the stories. And so I have by far the best of everything. I get to hear the stories repeated over and over and over. 
And then we bring our children to church. And new people stand up and preach from God's Word. And they tell the same story over and over. Our little ones are getting to understand and to know the story. And then we're so blessed to have a Christian school where we can send our children to. And, and again, this past week, we met as the Berea ministerial body. And Brother Luke prayed for our schools and that thanked them for everyone that's there and willing to serve and the ones that will serve as we, again, are working towards more uh, members. And I think about our children having been privileged to go there and the many times that we heard Ken's name mentioned around our table. If I had to give, have given Ken five bucks for every time, I'd been broke a long time ago. I tell you, Ken, the influence that you have had and are having on my children, there is no end to it. I'm glad we paid your salary or I'd be broke. Verse 3, he restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Every parent knows how to give good gifts. Jesus understands our suffering. He says, come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Oh, another, another thought that I wanted to share on, on the grandparents and telling the old stories and, and just having it ingrained in our, our minds as to how the story is. I read of, of one grandparent that had taken his grandson on a walk in the woods. And he was talking to him all about nature. And they talked about the flowers and they talked about the trees and then they was talking about the birds. And Grandpa, he looks up and he says, and do you see that blackbird way up there in the tree, a hovering? The little grandson looks up and he says, no, Grandpa. I don't see no blackbird a hovering, but I see a plastic bag a fluttering. In that man's mind, that fluttering, it instantly reminded him of the bird hovering up there. What he had seen in his youth and how he remembered the wonderfulness of the creation. Verse 4, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me, thy rod and thy staff. They comfort me. The valley of the shadow of death. What does that look like to be in a valley between the mountains? High up on the side, they're steep. Twenty-some uh, years ago, I went down to Grundy, Virginia to help clean up after the flood. And those mountains were very tall, very steep, and the valleys were very narrow. And when those rains descended, it just simply cleaned out down through the valley. And so, in a way, um, we're all living in the valley, the valley of the shadow of death. We, we can't see what all we're being protected from most of the time. But we know God is there. He is protecting us. And I had to think back to the rainbow that God placed there for Noah when he offered him and guaranteed him protection. You know, all of nature uh, points us to God, to lift our heads up, to lift our eyes up, 
And when we see a rainbow, we're looking towards God, we're looking towards the sky, and, and so our thoughts need to be drawn heavenward to our Father, which art in heaven. And as good and as pretty as a rainbow might be from, from here on earth, uh, half a rainbow, you know, I say a half rainbow goes from here over, comes back down to earth somewhere else, and maybe if it's very spectacular, you might have a double rainbow. But it's my understanding that if you're above and you're high and you look down and see the rainbow, that's a complete circle, full circle. And so that's the way I envision God looking down and seeing us through a perfect rainbow circle. I think there's one place in Alaska I've read that you can get up real high on a mountain and look down and see the perfect rainbow circle, but not something that we normally see. So that's why when we look up and we see a rainbow and we wonder about God's plans in our lives, there's so much of it that we, we're given a glimpse. We're given part of it. We're given enough to want to know more. But God looking down, He has the whole picture, and He knows the beginning from the end, end from the beginning, and we are in His will if we are there as He looks down and cares for us. We don't have to see the complete rainbow. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. You know, again, I think David was using sticks of wood as he, uh, shepherd's crook and, and everything as he was tending the sheep and the rod to beat off the wolves or whatever dangers come uh, that way. I'd like to think of it in just a little bit in more of a spiritual sense, being that Jesus is left and he is at the right hand of the Father for you and I. So that's half of it. The other half is he sent the Holy Spirit to live with us, to dwell with us, and to nudge us. And we had a, a beautiful illustration of that. I can't repeat it all in our Sunday school lesson this morning how that looks and works with our lives. And so the rod and the staff I'd like for you to think about as you go through life that it's Jesus interceding with the Father for us, pleading on our behalf, and it's the Holy Spirit with us, guiding and showing us and pointing us in the right direction. Verse 5, Thou preparest a table before some of mine enemies. Uh, thought about Joseph and his brothers. I, w I don't think that Joseph ever considered his brothers to be his enemies, but his brothers considered him their enemy. And like Cain, he, they, Cain hated his brother and he slew him. And the desire of Joseph's brothers was to see him dead. In fact, they throwed him in the pit and wished him to die. Then they pulled him out and sold him, sent him down to Egypt. And as far as they knew, they were glad and happy to see him go because he was out of their lives and they considered him as good as dead. But you know, Joseph was love the Lord. And he followed in his footsteps. He did that was right. And so God chose to exalt Joseph in all due time. He threw this tremendous famine on all the land. And 
raised Joseph up as the one to be the ruler of the land and the provider for the physical needs of all mankind at that time. And so I can't help but think that as Joseph sat there around the table with his brothers and they come to realize when their eyes were open that God had lifted him up and had made all this provision, all the wheat and the grain and everything to sustain life. To me, that's a perfect example of preparing a table in the presence of his enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. As I thought about that, I thought about ladies that we often exalt and are lifted up and are highly thought of in the, in the scripture. And I thought about Mary, Esther, and Ruth, and then two Gentile ladies that were in the lineage of Jesus Christ being Rahab and Ruth. And then I thought about, to me, one of the, one of the greatest ladies that we are told about in Scripture is the one that touched the hem of his garment. She was known for her faith, tremendous faith. And yet, I think I find it so interesting that these other ladies were given their name. But this lady, with her issue of blood, we don't know her name. And I think it was, it was just a way to protect her. And, and so how kind, we don't have to always throw somebody under the bus. But her, her legacy and what she did and the example that she showed is just tremendous. And so all this week I've been trying to think about touching the hem of the garment. You know, Jesus was walking down through the crowd and they was milling up against him and they was pressing against him. And she just quietly walked up behind him so he didn't see her. And, and just barely, I think she took one finger, she was looking at him and may have touched the hem of his garment. Very subtly, very quiet, very much not to be noticed. When she did it out of faith, and instantly she was healed. And Jesus knew, and he felt his power leave. Who touched my hem? And so, that's all we need to know about her. The lady that touched the hem of his garment, and she was made whole. Oh, that we would understand and be able to do that. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. We're to remember now the Creator in the days of our youth, and the evil days come not, and thou shalt say, I have no pleasure in them. So uh, Jesus is coming back with the Father. They're coming back again to destroy this sinful world, the world that mankind has marred with sin. And they're preparing a new heaven for those that are the children of God to go to be with Him in the continuation of eternity forever and ever. And, you know, I told you that in the beginning, God created the sun and the moon and the stars, and that was to be the light of the world. That, too, will be destroyed. And the new light that will be in heaven will be none other than Jesus Christ, God's own Son. Can you imagine the beauty of gold lit by God's Son? There is no need for any other lighting. It will be beyond words glorious. 
But you know, the question is, can you say, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want? When I was a little boy, we used to play, and one of the games that we played was tag. And if you was it, you had to cover your eyes and holler out loud before you would go look for the others. Bushel wheat and a bushel rye. Who ain't ready? Holler I. That's God's call today. Who ain't ready? Holler I. Shall we have a song?